I, uh, I'm excited about what's happening this summer here. Um, I, I have a series of messages that I believe that the Lord's placed in my heart for the day, for the moment that we're living in. And um, I will tell you right now, I am very excited. I am scared to death. I am intimidated. I'm overwhelmed. I'm tired. And I just can't wait for the, what the Lord's going to do. Because I believe that there is a day coming very soon for us. And I'm not putting dates. I don't know the dates. I just know the time is near. I just know the season is near. When the fig leaves start to sprout, you know it's summertime, right? And the fig leaves are sprouting, and therefore it's closer and closer. I'm going to be speaking on, on the topic of Revelation for the next few weeks. And uh, namely on the seven letters to the seven churches that Jesus wrote. And um, today, we're just going to introduce it. Um, The reason I think it's so important is that, you know, there has been a lot of people over the years, and we've all heard it, that that Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. How many have have heard that? Has anyone not heard that? Jesus is coming back. And maybe we've heard it so much that maybe we've lost the urgency of it. Maybe we've heard it so much that some are saying, well, he hasn't come back yet, so maybe he's not coming back. Well, it's kind of like we all know that someday you're going to die. I'm going to die. I haven't died yet, but that means I'm still going to (laughs) die. Just because I haven't died doesn't mean I'm not going to die. Just because Jesus hasn't come back yet doesn't mean he's not coming back. See, the devil plays games with us thinking that he wants to give us this level of procrastination to say because he hasn't come back, maybe he's not going to come back. Maybe it's wrong. Maybe that whole prophetic thing in the Bible is wrong. And, And maybe you're just being a sucker for believing it. So therefore, why do you believe that nonsense? And why don't you just live life and have fun and and just enjoy everything you can because he's not coming back. He hasn't come back in 2,000 years. He hasn't come back. So why is he coming back now? Has anybody ever heard that in your mind? Have you ever justified, rationalized anything in your mind like that? Maybe you have. Maybe you haven't. But let me tell you right now, he's coming back. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 and 52 say, Listen. Listen. <laughs> The Bible says, listen, what should you do? Listen. (laughs) Listen, I tell you a mystery. This is Paul speaking to the church in Corinthians, to the Corinthian church. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In other words, what he's saying here is that we all may not sleep. That means you all may not die. Because, why? Because there's a taking away of the church that's coming. And for some of us, and it may be our generation, I don't know, but it may be our generation that maybe that generation does not see death. We may see, as the church, we may see just extended life. And that we may never have to see that physical death. Then he goes on in verse 52. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye. How fast is a flash, and how fast is the twinkling of an eye? Blink your eyes. Everybody blink. How fast did it take you to blink? How fast? Yeah. Less, less, a fraction of a second. 
tenths of seconds, maybe hundreds of seconds. Like that, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. <laughs> Amen. That's hope. That's glory. That's something worth getting excited about. Or it's something to get scared about, depending on what side of the fence you're on here. So this morning, I feel that the, the topic of Revelation and the seven letters to the seven churches that Jesus wrote through John, the apostle, is for us today. Because Jesus is giving them an urgency of the matter, of the moment that they're living in. So we're, gonna, we're going to study these over the next few weeks and just see what the Lord continues to do in our hearts and our lives. But before we do that, can we just pray right now? And can we just ask the Lord to open our hearts and our minds to what the Lord has to say? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we just come before you, and we just ask you, Jesus, to have your way. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would remove every hindering spirit, every thought, every distraction in all of our minds, in the minds that are listening, and in my mind as I speak. I pray, Jesus, I want to hear your true word, nothing less, nothing more. I just want to speak the truth in love and in compassion. Help us to hear it, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, the seven churches. Last week, we started to speak about chapter 1, and we, t we spoke about the revelation that John had. It says, I, John, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit in the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a great voice as a trumpet, saying, What thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches in Asia, unto Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and I saw seven golden candlesticks. In the midst of the candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man. That's Jesus. And when he saw Jesus, he fell as of dead. And Jesus put his hand on him and said, Rise up, Paul or John. I have things to tell you, and I have things for you to write down. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the purpose and why John was selected. And we're going to introduce the topics here of the letters of Jesus to the churches. But first, let's define the church. What is the church? Shout out to me. What is the church? Give me, give me your words. What is the church? Say to what? Oh, Rick, you read them. You got ahead of me. <laughs> All right. What's, yeah, that's exactly what it is. But you got to my punchline too soon. What is the church? What, when we think of church, what do you normally think of? What's the world think of? A building. This is like, um, what's that game show? Family Feud. Uh, a A building. Denominations, fellowships, religious organizations, a country club. You ever seen churches a country club? Yeah. And etc. A lot of different churches. But how does God see the church? Rick, how does God see the church? <laughs> no, Rick, the body of Christ. Man, I tell you, you can't even set a guy up and get the good answer out of the guy. God sees the church as the body of his son. 
Jesus Christ because Jesus gave himself. For all the things we described, Jesus gave himself as his body so that we could then be his body. Who is the body of Christ? We're made up of individual believers with the same belief, a common belief that we are saved and we have a salvation based upon the life of Jesus as our risen Savior. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4 and 6, 4 through 6. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all in all. Amen. So that is the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. And we have different gifts. Let's continue on here because we're introducing the seven different letters to seven different churches. So we're one body with different gifts. Verse 11 of Ephesians 4. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. He gave the church, he gave the body of, of the, Christ, the body of Christ different gifted people for the purpose of Ephesians 4, 12, and 13, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up, not torn down, not torn apart, not separated, but built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What's the, what's the purpose of the different gifts? Not to separate, not to um, take away, not to do anything negative. It's all positive. Continuing on in Ephesians 14, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Man, that makes people to be sound pretty bad, doesn't it? But yet, how often do we see the separations in the churches happening because we have different agendas, different motivations, different doctrines, and some of them don't really originate from God's word. Instead, verse 15, instead we are to be speaking the truth in love, and as we do, we will grow to become in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. For the purpose of what? What's the purpose of all of this? The purpose is of the strengthening and the growing and the maturing of the body into a fullness, into the measure of Christ. Paul describes it as a way that we build each other up. We encourage each other. We strengthen each other. We don't tear each other apart. The purpose is not to divide the body into little subsets. See, physically speaking, if, if my arm decided it didn't like my head and wanted to separate from the head, and let's say somehow it was able to do that, what would happen to that arm? It would die. It, it would lay over in the weeds someplace, and it, was, it would die. Because it's not connected to the head any longer. 
See, in the church, what's the position of Christ in the church? He is the head of the church. He's the head of the body of Christ. What happens to a part of the body that is separated from the head? It may, it may exist. My arm, if I cut it off, is not going to evaporate. It's going to be there. It's physically going to be there, but it has no, no life in it any longer because it's separated from the head. It may physically exist, but it dies. Can this not be applied to a spiritual body? Think about it. What happens if a church body separates, its, separates itself from, the, from Christ, who is the head? What happens to that body of believers? It might exist in form. Churches just don't evaporate. It might exist, but it is dead in spirit. Can that happen? Can churches be dead? There are church buildings that are full of people, yet not full of Jesus, meaning they are not connected to the head, being Jesus, and thus they are dead. Now, we are going to hear the warnings from Jesus to the seven churches. And he's going to say that repeatedly. He's going to tell some of the churches that I could, I'm going to remove your lampstand from you if you don't make some changes. What is he saying to that church? He's saying that you're going to die. I'm going to take my presence from you. I'm going to remove myself from you. And you will be there as a physical body, you will be there as a physical church, but you will no longer have the presence of my Holy Spirit with you. How many here want to be a part of that church? I don't think anybody will raise your hand on that one. I hope not. I don't want to be. I want to be part of a living church. I want to be a part of the body of Christ that's alive and moving and functioning and doing the things that we're supposed to be doing. Amen? Amen. So are we ready to hear? Are we going to have arts and minds and in ears that are going to listen to what God says? I hope so. How does this discussion apply? See, Jesus is all about love and relationships. Understand he is all about love and relationships. He wants us to love him as much as he loves us. And he loves us, doesn't he? Does Jesus love us? Yeah. There was a discussion that Jesus had with some people, and it was recorded in the book of Mark. The question was asked asked to Jesus, what's the most important commandment? And this is Jesus' answer. The most important one, being the most important commandment, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. You see, Jesus is very clear about being one. He never, ever separates himself from God the Father or the Holy Spirit. Jesus the Father and the Holy Spirit are are one. Yet they have different functions. The church is one, yet we have different functions. We talked about it in Sunday school a little bit this morning. Unity is not uniformity true? We are not to be, try to be uniform because what is that rip when, we, when we're that way? You said it in Sunday school. We're disingenuous. We're disingenuous. See, if I'm trying to be like the church across the, across the town that I'm assuming is a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church. I'm not talking about a cult or a sect. I'm talking about a church that loves Jesus, that, that preaches the word. 
My goal is not to be like them. My goal is to be like Jesus. My goal is to be one with Jesus and let that church be their one with Jesus and not like me. That would be uniformity, not unity. We want to be in unity with the churches that preach the gospel. We want to be in unity when it comes to their purpose to spread the gospel and to to evangelize the world and to lead people to Jesus. But we don't want to be in uniform with them because that would be disingenuous because I'm not like them and neither are you. The personality of this church is its own personality. We're different. That church is different. Let's not try to make them the same. That's uniformity, and that's not what God's calling for. It's okay to be different as long as we're keeping ourselves one in Christ. Amen? Let me back up. Jesus, if Jesus isn't Lord of everything, so important, guys. If he's not Lord of everything, then he's not Lord of anything. If Jesus Christ is not the center point of your life, always, then he's never the center point of your life. Come on, hear me. This is not, this is not condemnation. This is, this is conviction. This is holy conviction saying, guys, listen, this is, not, this is not the time to play games anymore. We're getting closer and closer and closer to the end time. You're getting closer and closer and closer to your last breath. We don't know what tomorrow holds. So all I'm trying to encourage us today is to say it's time to put Jesus Christ as Lord of everything in our life. If he's not Lord of everything, he's not Lord of anything. He's not coming back for a partial Christian. Jesus didn't partially die. He didn't just give a little bit of himself. He He gave his all. And that's what's expecting from us. Our all back to him. Does that mean you're perfect? No, it doesn't mean you're perfect. Does it mean you're not going to make mistakes? No, you're going to, yes, you're going to make mistakes. Am I? Yes. But it's how we deal with these mistakes that are so important. Am I never going to have a disagreement with somebody? I'm going to have disagreements with people. I'm not perfect, but it's how I deal with these disagreements and how we deal with the conflicts. Again, Sunday school, perfect, great Sunday school class today. How, how we deal with godly conflicts and even ungodly conflicts, how we deal with them. It's how we react to these things that make difference being okay. If the Lord, if Jesus isn't Lord of everything, he's not Lord of anything. All right, so why different churches? Even though there are many different churches then as there are today, there's one commandment that we love one another and that we love Jesus. The, seven, the letters of seven different churches give us much to consider here as, we, as we're going to go over the next few weeks. Now, understand that... Um, in the day in, in Asia Minor, there was these seven churches, but there was many other churches that the apostles started. These were not the only churches in, of the day. There were churches of uh, the Thessalonians. They were a church, but they're not mentioned here. There's, uh, there's other churches. I, I'm not going to rattle them all off. But why did Jesus pick these seven churches? Why? There, see, they're different groups of people. They were in different geographical areas. They had different socioeconomic conditions around them. Some were more wealthy than others physically, materially. They were in different cultures. They had different size demographics. Some were bigger churches than other churches. Some were in bigger cities than other cities. They had different personalities. They had different leaders. And on and on and on. There were so many differences about these churches. But yet, they were all serving the same Jesus. They all had the same passion, the same love, the same word of God. They had the same purpose of living. See, all these churches were started off by the apostles. These, all, all these churches began 
in the same foundation. They began with the same model. They began with the same blueprint by the apostles, by the different apostles that set, you know, Paul started many of them. And they all started off well. But as we'll see here, that they wandered a little bit. And, uh, and God was calling them back. So why these seven churches? Well, they were representative and influential in the areas that they were in. They might have represented certain things in that particular demographic that they were in. They were probably, and we'll see, they were in high commerce and high trade routes. A lot of people passed through those areas. They all began with a solid foundation, and they all um, have been slipping in some areas. Uh, at least some of them were, and we'll talk about them as well. But they were all, the message that go to these churches is relational to the area around them and also to us as well. So these churches, who are the churches? Well, the churches were Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And it's, what's interesting is that the churches are all in a line, basically. This is the trade route. And that's also the way that, that's the order that they were given, that Jesus gave the order. And, and so John was given the message to go to these churches. Now, what do these churches mean? Ephesus means desirable. Smyrna means sweet-smelling or fragrant when crushed. We talked about that in Sunday school. Um, and, and each church went through a particular era of, of godly um, purpose. And we'll talk about, much more about that. But Smyrna was a, was a church that was persecuted a lot. It was the, the persecuted church. And therefore, it had a sweet-smelling fragrance when it was persecuted for Jesus. Interesting wordage. Pergamos means elevation or exalted or a raised-up city. Thyatira means sacrifice of contrition or sweet savor of labor. Sardis means renewal or of that which remains. Philadelphia means brotherly love. And Laodicea means judgment or judging the people. And uh, we're going to, as we get into these different messages over the next few weeks, we're going to see the significance of these names. These letters had different purposes uh, to different eras in the Christian world, history-wise. Now, there's a lot of debate over this. Some people don't believe this. Some people do believe this. It all depends basically on their viewpoints of uh, the end times and maybe even the churches that they're in. But I think that's worth at least discussing here that um, the, the, the message that went to these people were purposely for the day that they were in, no question about it. Every message that Jesus gave to these churches was intended to go to that church, and the people were to learn from it and to glean from it and to change from it as, and, and become different for it. But also, uh, we can see, and we look back at history, we'll see that, that these churches awful had, also had a, a time period of the church history that was symbolized by who they were. Um, there were some bad times in church history um, that we don't want to even really think about, but thank goodness we had people like Martin Luther that were back in the Reformation and stood up for what he believed was right, and, and therefore we have the Church of Philadelphia and uh, how the Awakening Church came as a result of, of his uh, taking a stand for what the Word said versus going against what maybe the organized church said at the time. Is the message that Jesus had is it relevant for our life today? Is the, is the messages that were given to those churches, does it mean something for us today? Well, without question, without question, 
we will find that the messages that Jesus had for these churches were, are exactly what we need to hear today. Corporately, as the body of Christ, our church needs to hear these messages. Our church, our physical, our corporate body needs to hear the messages that Jesus gives because we have some characteristics of all seven churches. And we're going to see that. And it's going to be very convicting and it's going to be very important that we listen and we have ears to hear what the Lord says. And then personally, individually as believers, the only way a church body can change is if the, is if the in, individual believers change. So you need to hear what the messages are, are as well because your life will be impacted. If you listen to the, to the message, if you are, uh, have ears to hear, uh, you will hear some things that will challenge your life and it will make a difference for you. So the question for us is, will we listen? Will we heed the warnings and the message before it's too late? Um, that's the urgency of the hour this morning. Now, the author and Dave, we've talked about this in the past already, but it, there's some interesting things about the Apostle John. He was not only inspired to write this, but he was visited by Jesus. And uh, he, was, he had a real encounter with the Lord uh, this vision was given to him around 95 A.D. Jesus died about 30, 33 A.D. So, you, so now uh, the church uh, was, in about, was about 65 years old. John was 90, 95 years old. He was in his mid-90s. He was an old man. Um, the church had experienced much growth in the midst of intense persecution and much false teaching. There was a lot of uh, things that had gone on in that early, that first 65 years. In fact, history tells us that that there was a lot of, of persecution in that time. Um, Roman rule, under the Roman rule, 45,000 people were martyred, either by crucifixion, by being burned to death, and thrown, or thrown into the lions. Uh, you know, the Roman Colosseums? Um, not good, not fun. It was hard times to be uh, a Christian. A lot of false teachers and teachings were also very common already in the church. It was only 65 years old, but already there was false teachings. A lot of people were already unsure of the future. They weren't sure exactly what was going to happen next. And um, that's why John was so important. Because John, was, um, he was the last remaining apostle alive. All the other apostles had already died. In fact, they'd been dead for 20 to 30 years already. Uh, even Paul was dead. And Timothy, who was younger than Paul, Timothy was the, the son in Christ of Paul, they both were dead. John was the last remaining Apostle, he, His voice, he was the most prominent player in the church at that time. So what John said held a lot of weight. People were waiting for John to speak because they didn't know what was coming next. There was so much controversy and so much persecution and so much upheaval already in the early church that when John spoke, they listened. John was the most influential teacher of his day, and his voice was prominent in the day. Very important that we understand John's position. John's vision, while in prison on the Isle of Pat Patmos, he was um, imprisoned there, and he had, a, he had a, a visitation by Jesus. And Jesus gave him a direct revelation of the things past, the things present, and the things to come. Um, remember, John was a first cousin of Jesus. John's mother was a sister of Mary. So John has known Jesus for all of his life, probably living in a small demographic. They didn't have expressways and airplanes. If they were family, they lived pretty close together, typically. So John probably had a really good understanding of Jesus as a boy and as a man. And he had a lot of things past that he knew of. 
And what was so amazing when we talked last week about the difference that John saw when John saw Jesus come back now or this time, he wasn't the same Jesus that left. The Jesus that left John was a man in his 30s, beaten up, severely disfigured. Um, he left not as a king. He left as a punished as a criminal. But when John saw Jesus now, he came back as a conquering king. White hair, white beard, just an amazing, his face glowed, couldn't even, his face was like the sun, his feet were like burning brass. He, he held stars in his right, one hand, and, and just his voice was like a thunder, like many rivers. And I mean, this was not the same guy. <laughs> and John was, John, that's why John fell as dead. Come on, can we just kind of put ourselves on John's feet a little bit here in his, in his position? He saw Jesus once, now he sees him coming back. What a difference that he, he had, and what an amazing experience that must have been for John to see that. John was instructed to write down the letters. In fact, the whole book he was instructed to write down uh, and then give it to the churches. And as far as we know, John might have done that. We know that John was on the Isle of Patmos for 18 months. He didn't die there. He went back, and he went back to Ephesus where his host was, and he lived in Ephesus, and that's where the church was. That's where his first letter was. That's why probably Jesus wrote the first letter to Ephesus. They said, take it there, and then take it around and get it to all the churches. So maybe John did. Don't know, but um, it was not recorded if John did it, but the letter was, was given to all the other churches. The structure of the letters is important. Jesus described in detail exactly what he wanted John to write down. And each letter followed a particular pattern. And it's important that we see the pattern here because it helps us then to understand systematically what Jesus is trying to say to us as well. And as we read them, we're going to see a pattern here that is going to help us understand what Jesus is trying to say to the people. He, um, the, the pattern is that he, first of all, addresses the particular congregation and he gives himself an introduction of who Jesus is. And so it uh, um, describes who the author is. And he understands and he proves to the church that he knows about them. The second thing is he, Christ tells them what he knows, knows about their works. Um, he, so he gives them a statement regarding the condition of the church. So that he tells them where he's, they stand with him. And then he gives them a rebuke or a correction action from Jesus regarding the condition of the church. And then he gives a command from Jesus to do that specific item. And then he gives a consequence if they don't obey. And then he gives a promise of reward. So that's the format of the churches. Now, we're going to go through each one of these later. As we do that, that we will see the significance of what Jesus is saying to us in that. And that we will take it to heart and we will become better people. And that we will become a more alive church. And that we will know truly that God has something for us. What was the purpose for Jesus' message to the churches then? Well, to acknowledge, encourage, rebuke as necessary, instruct, and give hope for the future. And Jesus' point was to urgently call the people to repent and live lives pleasing to his Father in heaven. He gave the message, and then he said, Guys, repent. I need something from you, and I have something for you if you will just listen and obey me. What's the purpose for the today? Same thing. It's the same thing, to acknowledge, encourage, rebuke as necessary, instruct, and give hope for the future. It's the same message, the same purpose. Jesus' point is to urgently call us as his people to repent, live our lives pleasing to him, encouraging us so that we then can share heaven 
in glory with him and his father forever and ever and ever. Jesus is consistent in his message to the church today just as much as he was then. And here it is. The time is closer and more near than ever. This is the day. This is the hour. It's time that we understand this. Jackie, if you'd come. What's the conclusion then of, this, of the matter today? Where do we stand with this today? Well, Jesus has some things to say to us. Even right now, even this morning, he has some things to say as we begin to close up this morning. See, Christ is walking in the midst of us today. He wants to be in our presence today, doesn't he? Why would he not want to be? Are you his, are you his child this morning? Have you accepted Jesus Christ? If you've accepted Jesus Christ and he wants to be with you, do you want to be with your children, mom and dad? Yeah. Well, that's who he wants to be. He wants to walk in our midst. He wants to be here. But he's also stirring us up out of our complacency. He's stirring us up, and he's giving us some serious things to consider. He's revealing, and he's, and he's reproving and disapproving of sin. He's not willing to allow us to bask in our unholiness because it may be fun for the moment. He wants to, he wants to ask us. He wants to uh, encourage us. He wants to rebuke us. He wants to call us for repentance. He wants to say, folks, I love you so much. I'm concerned about where you're going. I'm concerned about your path. I'm concerned about where you're going to end up if you don't listen to me. He's, and he wants to bring us into a new, stronger position of dedication and commitment. He's challenging us to be stronger. He's challenging us to be more dedicated. He's challenging us to say, guys, listen, do you really love me with all your heart? Do you really? Do you really? Do you really? That's what he's asking us this morning. Are we really there? Are we really trying to follow him, or are we just comfortable coming in to a country club church? Are we willing to be that dead body, or do we really want the presence of Jesus? Now, if we want it, if we want it, he wants to fresh. He wants to give us a new release of a fresh anointing. He wants us to know that he has a fresh anointing for us. I tell you, I just feel the presence of the Holy Spirit so strong right now. All of a sudden, it's just like the Lord just dropped an anointing, an oil of anointing on this place. This morning, listen, folks, if you want it, he's got it. But you've got to want it. We've got to want it. We can't be blasé about this. We cannot just go through life as normal thinking that God's going to continue to bless us if we're not willing to receive his blessing. If we're not willing to receive his rebuke and his warning and then take action to move, he's not going to bless us. He's going to go by us to the next church. Father, I just pray right now in Jesus' name. Lord, I repent. I repent, Father, of pride, of arrogance. I repent, Father, the times that we've looked at these things of church and thought they were casual, thought they were unnecessary. Lord, of how the times that we've not been here, the times that we've had choices and we've walked away. Father, don't take your candlestick from our church, I pray in Jesus' name. We repent, Father, and we just come before you, and we're asking you, Father, to be with us today. 
Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Now listen. Remember the promise. The promise is given in chapter 3, or in chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads the, aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed is the one who hear it and then take it to heart because the time is near. There is a promise. There is a promise here this morning. And as we go through these next few weeks, folks, and if we will listen and if we will pay attention and hear what the Lord's saying and put away the things that are past that maybe we didn't agree with or maybe put away the we've always done it that way or haven't done it this way before. We put away those things and we just listen to what the Lord is trying to say to us and we, and we accept his rebuke. We accept his criticism. We accept his positive criticism to help us become a more vibrant church. He has a promise for us that we will walk in it and that we will have a relationship with him forever and ever and ever. Amen? Amen. Ever, whoever has ears, who's got ears? Let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. Would you close your eyes? And would you just pray with me for a minute? We're going to come in and have communion, and we're going to take the next five minutes or so, and we're just going to come up to the front. And for those that want to, encourage everyone here that loves Jesus to enjoy and, and partake in communion with us. But before we do that, though, can we just close our eyes this morning and do a little evaluation? Lord Jesus, I, I just invite you to look in my heart. God, I open the doors of my heart to you right now. And God, I just ask you to bring a convicting spirit of where it needs to be convicted. And I pray, Jesus, that you would just see me for who I am not for who I want to be, not for who that I think I am, but really see me. Oh, Father. Now listen, if, if you've said that, if you've said that, if you've invited Jesus to come in and look in your heart and life, what's he seeing? What's he seeing in your life today? Is he seeing a pleasing person? Is he seeing some little rooms of sin? Is he seeing a lot of sin? Is he seeing a pure heart? He could be seeing all of those with each individual person. But I want to just invite you this morning as we begin this discussion over the next few weeks. I want to start off right now by giving everyone an opportunity to receive Jesus, first of all. So as all eyes are closed this morning, before we come into communion, this morning, if you want a relationship with Jesus, if he's looking in your heart and it's not what he wants to see and he's telling you that, this morning you can say, I'm sorry. And you can make that right with him by doing a simple thing. With your eyes closed, please. If anyone here this morning wants to just recommit your life to Jesus or maybe for the first time, would you just raise your hand and just say, Jesus, it's me. I'm just recommitting. I see that hand. I'm just recommitting my life. I see that hand. Maybe for the first time, maybe for the tenth time or the hundredth time. It doesn't make any difference. As long as we do it and we mean it, he's there to, he's there to forgive us. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I just thank you, Father, for the honesty and integrity of the people, for authenticity. Lord, that we're not trying to fool you. We're not trying to be who we're not. We're just saying, Jesus, my life is open before you, and I want to be that transparent vessel. Thank you for that. Now, Lord, forgive us of our sin, I pray. For those that raised their hand this morning, I pray right now that their hearts and their minds, that they're praying this prayer of salvation, 
and you're saying, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Make me whole again. Make me, make me new. Make me white as snow. Give me peace with you. Give me understanding that I am your child now in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Amen. We want to take the next few minutes and we want to honor the Lord's table with communion. And this is not for members of the church. This is for our members of the body of Christ. So if you're a member of the body of Christ, you're welcome to be with us. What we normally do, because it's family, we like to come to the front. And we're just going to come down now and we're going to take the body. Uh, we're going to take the, uh, the juice and the cracker. And we'll stand and take it together. And then we're just going to bless the Lord a little bit. So if you want to come down and partake with us, we'd love to have you in Jesus' name. You know, this morning as we take this cracker and this juice and we know it's just a cracker and it's just a glass of juice we know that but what it's signifying is something much more meaningful than what it is it's signifying the body of Christ and Jesus gives us a very stern warning here this morning so I want to read the warning first because if you're standing here this morning and really aren't sure if you should have this cup in your hand you need to know that and even though I've already given an opportunity for those to be saved, I just want to make sure that you understand the seriousness of what we're doing right now. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. What's unworthy? An unworthy manner is not perfection. An unworthy manner is unforgiven. It's unforgiven. It means you have sin in your life and you know it, and you haven't asked for forgiveness for it. That's unworthy. What happens? He drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. And this is, the, this is what the instruction is. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. Do you understand what that means? It means you're, you're, it means you're inviting judgment. It means, it means it's your choice. It means you've asked the Lord to judge you. You're inviting judgments on your life if you eat unworthily. And if, you eat, if you're too stubborn to say, I'm sorry. And I know this seems like a hard word, but it's the truth of God's word. If you will not bow your knee to Jesus and say, I'm sorry for my sin, then you're inviting judgment of God on your life. Verse 30, that is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number, a number of you have fallen asleep, died. Now understand, this was written to the church then. They had problems then. There were already people that were abusing the body of Christ then. If Jesus was judging them then, how much more severely is he judging us today? But if we judged ourselves... Hear me, this is, a good word. this is a good word. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So here, folks, this is, the, this is the call this morning. As you hold this in your hand this morning, and as you are still having time, that you can judge yourself. And by judging yourself, what that means is you're inviting, you're, ex you're examining your own heart to say, am I worthy to take this cup? Am I worthy to eat this bread? Am I worthy to eat the body of Christ? 
If you are, then this is what Jesus says. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Amen. So whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we remember the Lord's day until the day that we're going to have this meal with him in heaven. In a very short period of time, we're going to be around the throne of God and we're going to be in the, in the, we're going to be in the dining hall of heaven and Jesus is going to be serving us. Now that should put a little bit of excitement in your bones. Amen. Would you just lift up the bread with me? Let's pray. Jesus, we lift this cracker before you. And Lord, again, Father, I pray that, that you would examine my heart. I am sorry for my attitudes, for my sin, for the things that I've done to displease you, Father. And I'm inviting you right now to be the King of kings and Lord of lords of my life. Lord, I don't want judgment. I want blessing. I want promises of blessing. And I will do whatever I can, God, to live my life according to your purpose, according to the Holy Spirit's power within me to live that way. And so, God, now we are so thankful for what you've done on the cross for us. And we we eat this cracker now as a representation of your body. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you eat the cracker and partake with me? Amen. In your cup, in your hand, you hold a cup of juice. Grape juice, fresh, fresh grape juice, which represents the blood of Christ that he poured out for us. He gave it without measure. So when we talk about living in the measure of Christ, understand that when, God, when Jesus measured things, he measured everything. <laughs> he didn't just take a little blood and, from the sweat of his brow and say, here's the blood, God. No, he gave it all, and he bled out. And this is what this is representing, the blood of Christ, gave it all. So now we're just doing it back to him, and we're giving all of ourselves back to him. That's what we're representing now, is that we're giving this back, our lives back to Jesus. Father, thank you for the blood. Thank you, Jesus, that you were willingly a sacrifice for us and that you gave yourself totally, wholly, without compromise, without, without holding anything back. So, Jesus, I pray that as a person and as a body of believers that we will give you the same respect, that we'll give you the same honor, that we will give you all of us without any holding back of anything. We thank you for your mercy and your grace. We partake now together in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Jesus.